Welcome, welcome, welcome to the third episode of the Healy and Bailey Notebook, covering the CPL, Canada's MLS clubs, and the Canadian men's and women's national team. My name is Mitchell Bailey, and I'm joined here today by... Josh Healy. Nice to talk to you again, Mitchell. We're uh, three weeks running. I, I, I think that's a trend, right? I think that's definitely a trend. Three weeks running and three tries of that uh, intro before we get the ball rolling here. So I think... Uh, Three's the lucky number, and uh, it's relatively a little bit shorter of an episode here today because we're a little bit pressed on the schedule because we have an interview that we're going to be doing right after this recording. So episode three and four will be both recorded tonight. So stay tuned for for what's to come next after after this episode. But uh, yeah, a couple of things uh, to go over here today. You were um, tuned into the uh, the York United uh, owners press conference earlier today, and I mean, I was pretty tired up with my my day job. So I wasn't able to, to tune into the press conference. So I'm honestly pretty uninformed on how that went. So care to uh, give me and uh, any listener a recap of what went down. 100% Mitchell. It was a, a very big day for the CPL and the Canada soccer business. Uh, today, the Pascal brothers were unveiled uh, as game plan sports at the York Lions stadium to media and supporters. Um, and it was a very interesting uh, 45 minute press conference. You know, there was a lot of information uh, revealed that wasn't necessarily there before, but uh, I've got, I've got some takeaways um, just, just from that time. First thing off the bat is, is just listening to the brothers. Um, of course, they are from uh, Mexico, uh, you know, have been in talks for a long time and kind of sitting on this news and they're very excited. You could feel the energy, even though I'm, I'm uh, was taking the call in Lunenburg and very far away from Ontario. Uh, you know, their enthusiasm jumped off the screen, which I think is a really good thing to have uh, for an ownership group, just in terms of, you know, it, it almost sounded like the league had to tell them like, wait, you can't start doing things yet until, you know, the everything's dotted and signed and, and whatever else. So um, the brothers have a very interesting history in so much as they actually don't have any professional experience as footballers or, or anything like that. But through their father and their family, they have some pretty extensive ties to the football community in Mexico. Uh, in addition to that, they also have a lot of business acumen, whether that be through beverage, retail and marketing uh, sectors. So there are a lot of things that they have, uh, which they feel make them qualified to deal uh, with the club as it is now and looking towards the future to sort of rectify some of the problems that have have plagued York United in, in its history. One of the big things that I definitely notice is, uh, you know, the problems are not so much on the pitch with this club, but in how it's perceived by the community, be that in their marketing, in their match day experience, you know, uh, a number of players that I've spoken to across the league have always talked about the lack of atmosphere at uh, York Lions Stadium, just in terms of, you know, the, they have the lowest turnout of fans. Uh, just just everything is a bit off compared to other clubs in the league. So, for example, if you go to, uh, you know, Athletic, Athletico Ottawa game or, you know, go to the Wanderers grounds, for example, you have that authentic feeling atmosphere. And that's something that the Pascal brothers think that they can help with. Uh, so, you know, they kind of outline that as, as, as some of the top things that are, are plaguing them. Um, one thing that was really interesting for me as well, they took a lot of time to praise the players, specifically calling them uh, the most talented squad in the league at one point. 
um, which I think might, might be a, a bit of a stretch. But having said that, you know, there's no doubt that they have some some quality footballers. And uh, one of them, in fact, who's, you know, Mr. York United, uh, Max Ferrari, was, was, was actually in person um, at the preface conference as well. What really spoke volumes to me is, is what they didn't say. Um, you know, there was some questions that were asked about roster announcement announcements and, and coaching and whatever else. And, and when asked about that, they, they went out of their way to, to praise the players, but not necessarily the coaching staff. So it, it kind of left a couple of questions in my mind about the, the future of, of uh, head coach Martin Nash and his staff. And, and, you know, Will we be hearing of some changes? Will they be given some leash for this coming uh, CPL season to, to kind of get their ducks in order? Um, so that was that was something to to point out or an observation I made where you see on one hand, they're like, you know, the players are great. We're so excited by the squad, the talent. Can't wait to develop young Canadians. And then, and then sort of when it goes to, you know, announcements about some of the staff or whatever, whatever else they say, you know, well, We'll look into that next week, or you'll hear more about that soon. Um, I, I had a chance to follow up a little bit after the press conference as well. Uh, and at this time, we're actually going to get some roster annou- announcements uh, as early as next week, and then some wider announcements um, just before Christmas time. On that note as well, uh, we can actually expect an announcement on the coaching staff tomorrow or possibly early next week. Again, that's that's uh, just some information I was able to dig up after the press conference. So I don't know if that's going to be uh, doubling down and, and, and announcing that Nash will be back or that they're making a change. But either way, we'll have some clarity about the future of, of a lot of key players and key positions around the club in the next little bit. But uh, all in all, you know, it, it's what you'd want from an initial press conference. There was a lot of excitement. Uh, there was talking about what they can bring to the club uh both both in enthusiasm and and sort of off the pitch with that marketing business uh community minded part of it uh but uh yeah you know there's obviously a lot of work to do and and they're just getting started down that path so was there a large media turnout from what you were able to see yeah obviously uh being on Zoom, you get a little, a little bit of a limited can, a camera angle. So, you know, it was it was centered on Eduardo, Ricardo, and Miguel. Uh, was it more than the TFC the end of season press conference? Definitely. Definitely. Really? Okay. Uh, yeah. That's not saying much, mind you. Uh, no, exactly. But I mean, and I don't know how many people were, were attending that virtually as well. But, you know, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say our, our, our friends at TFC Republic were front and center for that one. Um, but I will say, you know, there were several reporters in the room. Um, from KNPL.ca as well as other media groups as well, um, you know, um, so that was good. And like I said, there was a number of different questions uh, that were explored. There was there was a half a dozen of us on on Zoom as well. So all in all, I think that's about as good as of a of a turnout as you could probably get for for something like that. Um, and they also see from the clips that I watched, it seems that they are committed to, you know, developing Canadian talent and, and sticking to that mandate. Obviously, it's a primary objective of the league as well to, to have a certain amount of Canadian players and a certain amount of under 21 players on the roster. Um, but it seems like they're they're invested in the 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 agenda of developing Canadian talent and, and strengthening the men's national team to a degree from, you know, the Canadian Premier League, 
from the Canadian Premier League. And like, I remember I, I saw that they mentioned that they've been watching the national team here in Canada for the last 10 years. And, um, you know, it makes you wonder as well, what opportunities could come regarding a relationship between uh, York United players and players in Liga MX in, in Mexico. Cause I believe that that drink, uh, that that beverage company owns CF Monterey in Mexico mm-hmm that they have relationships with. So it makes you wonder, let's say there's a, there's a player excelling at York United. Is there a possibility that he could get a loan to some club in, in Mexico or, or likewise a player that's, that's, you know, could generate some interest um, that, that, that might be in, in their early, mid, late thirties that might, might be willing to come and, and play in, in Canada for a year or two, kind of similar to um, the situation in, at the Atletico Ottawa. Um, for 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 brand value and marketing and exposure from some highly um uh you know credible mexican players so and i believe that their father was the um uh the the, the uh, i don't know was the general secretary of the mexican football federation and their grandfather played for club america yeah that, that is correct and he was also the owner at the time i high ranking positions I, I i know that i forget i don't know if it's the other way around but Obviously, they have you know football embedded in their their family lineage. So these guys, I think, from a business perspective, should know what they're doing. And it's great to see um, out like outsider interest in in a Canadian club. One that I was I was nervous was going to be you know have to fold for a year or two. So it's good yeah, to see yeah. York is back and and better than ever, looking like it from the business front. Anyway, I mean it's pretty early, but we shall see. Yeah, it, it's still early days yet. And as I said, you know there are a lot of of question marks uh that they did address head on uh for the most part you know for example they did compliment the facilities that they have at york lions but said you know for the longevity of the club we have to have our own facility we have to have our our, our own offices you know this is a temporary thing going on right now um to your point about you know sort of meaning the vision of the league in, in terms of developing Canadian players. Uh, they spoke very passionately about, you know, not only making sure that they're doing right by the players, but also the greater community in that area. So the York region. Uh, so those are all really good things uh, to come out of it because obviously one of the the misses, I guess, is that, you know, the, the community hasn't been engaged necessarily the way that, that you would hope. You know, you just have to look at the turnout. You know, they're getting a, a thousand fans, nine hundred fans, twelve hundred fans come out to a match, uh, and given the potential of of a team in that area, you know, that's been very underwhelming. Uh, one of the things that they did mention is, as why they were attracted to the club was, you know, where they think the sport is going in this country. Um, you know, with the World Cup coming to to us in twenty twenty six. Uh, you know, the the relatively large steps that the league's taken in its five years, you know, it's obviously in its infancy, but we've seen how fantastic, uh, you know, this, this sport can be having our own domestic league. So, uh, you know, they felt from what they said today that they were getting in at a good time to invest in the, you know, the beautiful game in Canada, but, but also to kind of fulfill a lifelong dream, um, as, as being owners and involved in a professional level, like, like a lot of their other family was. So. Yes. And just fact, fact checking myself as well. Their uncle was the president of the America and their dad was the general secretary of the Mexican football federation and their grandparents, I believe owned two uh, clubs in Mexico. So not even the, 
the first owners of a club in their and their family. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's it, Rice. Regardless of how of uh, how you shake us, you know they're well steeped in in the tradition of of football, and and they even said, you know, but before anything was confirmed or or whatever else, like they watched every single match of York United this year, right? So they they talked about watching uh, them right. lose one nil to Pacific and how devastated they were a- a- afterwards, right? Like these guys are invested, and in, and like I said, I was far away, not in the room, but you can still get an appreciation for people or, or, or a group uh, from how they present themselves and how they answer questions and how they treat people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think as a first impression that went really, really well for game plan sports and, uh, and for the Pascal brothers, you know, I think they're going to come out very, looking very favorably with some of the things that they said and did. And, and uh, obviously in the next few weeks, uh, as soon as tomorrow, maybe on the coaching front, we're going to hear about some of their first moves uh, as the owners of York United. So uh, definitely exciting times and uh, something to keep on our eyes on. Hopefully, hopefully we uh, don't radio ourselves and this is old news by the time. We'll try to get hope- it out tonight, man. Yeah, yeah. Ho- ho- hopefully uh, York's uh, press department doesn't uh, doesn't send out a release at 8 a.m. and beat us to the punch. But uh, either way, it's it, it's very exciting for the league and, and York United, and I wish them nothing uh, but the best as as they begin this journey because it's uh, it's one that needs to go well. It needs to go well for the CPL. So, and uh, yeah, moving on from that as well. I mean, if they do end up looking, or if they are in the market for a new coach, one name that was floated around quite a bit due to their success in in the U Sports game is uh, Dino Morley coach of the, the Cape Red University papers that just won the uh, national championships from um, your neck of the woods, man, from my neck of the woods, a former coach of mine back when I was 12, uh, oh, look at plug that. that in there. Um, but uh, that just made me think about the upcoming uh, CPL draft as well, which mm-hmm. is scheduled for uh, December 14th. Is that, is that, the that date is or? correct, sir. It's sneaking up pretty quick. We're a week yes. away. So, I see there's, yeah, a list of about 200 players here. I don't have it up in front of me, but uh, we want to touch on that briefly. Were you involved in, in attending last year's, or is this the first one that you're going to, are you going to attend virtually? How does it all work? Yeah, so I'm going to attend virtually, and, and I'll cover it. Uh, this is the first draft that um, I will be covering, so it, it'll be an interesting experience. Uh, I'm not as well versed, I guess, in the in the sports world as, as I'd like to be, but you know, as you mentioned, uh, it was a big year for uh, for CBU locally here, so that always adds an extra level of interest to it. Um, sure. This has been sort of a landmark draft, actually, for the CPL, just in terms of, as you mentioned, there's over 200 players. I think there's 204 players who declared for us, so that's the largest amount uh, ever to uh, declare for the the CanPL uh, U Sports draft. Um, just given you know, the picks are done the way the table um, ended up at the end of the season. So Valor is going to end up with the first overall pick. Uh, Wander is pick fifth and so forth and so forth. Yeah. Um, again, where I'm not, this isn't really my, you know, uh, cup of tea necessarily. I, I did ask around a little bit just to get some strategies and, and sort of how things have, have gone in previous years. Um, I've been told that typically clubs will pick players who were at schools or programs nearest to them, uh, mostly because of familiarity. You know, they, they may have been in on a training session. They may have been invited to a skills camp, uh, you know, just, just more access to the clubs locally. So uh, that's something to, to keep an eye out for. Um, 
looking through sort of the wanderer's lens as a, as I'm, uh, you know, liable to do given, given I, I, I cover them most closely. Uh, you know, you, you did mention Cape Breton winning the, uh, the U sports national championship. And I also believe they won the AUS. Uh, yeah. so they had, uh, a huge year and this is actually only the second time the host school has gone on to win the U sports national championship, uh, like actually hosting the tournaments or whatever else. So, uh, for, for, for me, again, just asking around and, and seeing what's West and trying to get the lay of the land, uh, the two players that, uh, were kind of pointed out to me that, that might be of interest, uh, to the Wanderers were, uh, playing for the capers. Uh, one of them is Owen Shepard from St. John's Newfoundland, big shout out. Uh, and so he, he's, uh, an attacking player. So he, uh, he declared on the draft as a left wing. He's a bit of a smaller profile. Uh, but, um, he, he was tied in the AOS with nine goals. Uh, so he's had a very good career. And so one of the things that Patrice Geiser mentioned, and sort of his end of season notes, press conference, whatever you want to call it. He mentioned that he would like to, you know, kind of beef up uh, the striker position and, and is hoping to get more goals from further up the pitch. So that might be an option for them. Uh, another option, again, with the Capers that is quite interesting, and I apologize for maybe butchering his name. I'm uh, not Portuguese, and he is. So uh, Jose Cuna. Uh, so he's from Portugal. He he actually declared as a, as a center back in the draft, which is interesting because my understanding was he actually played as a midfielder for the vast majority of the season. Uh, and he, you know, he's, he's, he's got a, a, a great touch and good vision. Uh, he ended up with five goals and three helpers on the season. So, you know, that's a, that's a very healthy contribution from, from the midfield area. And, you know, something that the Wanderers might might take a stab at considering they did lose some uh, firepower in Jordan Peruzza going back to TFC. And then, of course, we had uh, Jal Morelli uh, retire. So it, it'll be interesting to, to see how this goes. Again, I've never covered one before, but I am quite excited to, to kind of watch the process and, and see sort of the mentality of teams and how they pick and, and whatever else. I know the Wander uh, the Wanderers have had some success uh, drafting some attacking players from the U Sports draft. Previously, they had drafted uh, Corey Bent from the Cape Breton Capers a couple of years ago as well. And uh, I remember I was there in person when he scored that that banger of a goal against uh, CF Montreal in the Canadian Championship in 2021. So that was my introduction to him at the time of the first Wanderers game that I attended in person. So you know they got him from Cape Breton. Um, I just checked as well. There's ten players from Cape Breton university that uh declared for the draft so it, it it could be likely to see some of them go i don't they usually only isn't there only 16 selections it's a, it's a relatively low number is that correct yeah i believe it's only two rounds um i'd have to double check that but just off the uh, top of my head it's it's only a couple rounds so uh as as you said it's it's not like they're they're going down to the wire and everyone gets picked type thing it's it's they kind of pick the the cream of the crop or or the people who you know they think have the most potential um you know the the Wanderers pick from from the previous year, Aiden Rushness, who who was the backup keeper. You know he he trained with the club all season and ended up signing a professional contract. Right. So you know there there are players that are are plucked from this draft and and end up doing real time with with their clubs and and right. uh, uh, maybe not the case in, in Rushness's uh, situation, but you know people do 
do get matches and and whatever else. Like uh, I believe it was Eric Lejeunesse for Vancouver FC. He he got some time as well. So uh, yeah, it, it's uh, it'll be interesting to see to see what happens there. And you know, exciting for the players who did declare themselves. Like I said, this is this is sort of a high watermark uh, for players uh, across the country. You know, l- looking to go professional. So that's great. And as a player that plans on returning to university following, um, let's say, the first season, um, all of your compensation is provided in the form of tuition support through an academic financial award from their registering university. So playing just for one season, it gets some uh, some schooling paid off. It helps it helps as well. But obviously, I, I would imagine there's some cases of players that have been drafted from youth sports that then decide to just continue pursuing their career professionally and not end up going back to school. Is that correct? I know there's some kind of rule where they have to have, you know, being good academic standing. It's like in the middle of their university period and they still have some time at the end of their, uh, like they're have to be dead in the middle or something like that. Is that correct? Yeah, that, I think, yeah. That, yeah, that's correct. I recall reading through all of these uh, CPL roster regulation rules a couple of weeks ago before we started up the podcast. Um, yeah. So th- that'll be interesting. I'm looking forward to that. Um, Moving on, um, Christine Sinclair. The ghost. Oh, my God, <laughs> yes. What What more can we say, right? I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, no, fair enough. Uh, all-time inter- uh, leading international goal scorer. Um, I mean, I remember watching Christine Sinclair back when I was in, like, fourth grade, and I was, like, 10. I, whatever Olympic Olympics were ongoing at the time, and that was when I first became familiar with her. And uh, I think it was a proper send off. I mean, it's hard for for you to have watched that ceremony that they did for her at Christine Sinclair place um, and and the video that they made from all of the featuring all the, you know, young kids from from across the country uh, or young and old um, that, that, that kind of uh, shared some words on, on her legacy and, and impact that she's had on, on sport in general in Canada and the inspiration mm-hmm. that she shared through her, you know, remarkable career. And uh, I, w- I was impressed to see that she started the match as well. Canada beat uh, the Australian women's team 1-0, which was proper revenge for them getting knocked out of the World Cup in the summer yeah. 4-0 on Australia's home turf. Um, I mean, it, overall, Canada beat them 5-0 over the course of the two matches. I mean, they ran over them in the first one. Was the first one 5-0 or 4-0? It was five nil. It was five nil, so six nil, even better. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know that Australia didn't feel the strongest team there. They looked at it as an opportunity to 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 try out uh, some other tactical formation shifts and and, and give some other players uh, proper playing time. But um, the second match was obviously much more competitive, and it just was ended one nil for Canada. But it, it you know that was a proper scoreline. I, I I found um, it wasn't always the most thrilling match. Um, there was moments towards the end of the first half, especially after. Quinn had that that first that had the only goal for Canada where they they kind of livened up and um they, they had a goal called back as well for a foul that it was was questionable at, at least so I mean could have been two nil um there was some some fine play at points in the second half and uh, it was it was pretty impressive to see her start the match play the full 45 minutes and then she was taken off in the the 57th minute which was 12 minutes into the second half and symbolic because she's number 12 and Sophie Smith Schmidt came on for her. Um, yeah. That was her last match for Canada as well. As well. And, and uh, yeah, because I was reading earlier before the match that, that regularly, you know, in, in recent matches from what we've seen, uh, uh, the Canada's head coach said that basically Christine has about 30 minutes in the tank per match. 
Yeah. And uh, with her club at Portland, she actually tends to play. There was many games throughout the, the past season where she played either close to 90 minutes or at least 60 minutes. Um, so I was surprised when I started this. I thought I honestly thought she was going to come off the bench and uh, ride out the rest of the match. But, you know, I guess it makes sense with with all the, um, you know, the hype around the build up to this one and being such a ceremonial match, it makes sense for her to start, give the people what they came out to see. So, I mean, and she played well too. She had a few moments where anytime she got the ball in the, in the 18 yard box, whenever she did collect the ball, I mean, the crowd would go nuts, just hoping for her to score. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. She actually <laughs> early in the second half on a corner, almost. Yeah. Yeah. Cleared the ball. and almost went in the, in the back of their own net. I was, that would have been, a bit of a yeah. bit, bit of a bit of a stain on uh, her 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 last match wearing the Canadian shirts, but you know I've got to say what what an atmosphere, right? I think that was about as much as you could possibly ask for in terms of a send off. Yeah. And uh, there's one quote that she said after the match that I just adored because it speaks so much about about her character and and the type of person uh, that she is. So just just speaking afterwards and kind of reflecting a little bit, she said, you know, it's uh, it's a lot of love, a lot of support, but obviously enjoying the win. That was my one S of the team that Sophie and I end our careers on a W. I mean, what a competitor, right? It, it, it speaks to someone who, you know, laced it up and, and went out there for 331 appearances, uh, you know, got 190 goals, an Olympic gold medal, and it's just synonymous with, with the sport internationally, uh, but internationally as well, right? You, yeah. you touched on it. You were in grade four when, when you, you can first remember her. It's the same for me, man. Like, I knew who Christine Sinclair was before I even really followed the sports, right? She, she was just a, around since she was what, 16, I think. And, and, you know, uh, just has such, such a legacy. So I'm really glad to see that, that uh, fans came out on mass for to uh, Sinclair place. And, and uh, you know, there was a fantastic TIFO and, and it was, yeah, it was sure. everything you could ask for. I, 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 there was a nice article that was uh, published by, um, I think it was Emily Wilson with the CBC sports on the process yeah. that went into making that TIFO. Uh, they had to publicize that they were doing it so they could raise some money to get it together, I believe. Um, and, uh, I saw some images that took them months and I just, you know, appreciate that dedication and commitment from the, the Voyagers to, uh, to get in that ready and put together. Um, because she obviously a legacy, a legacy that, uh, deserves several TIFOs and also um it it is pretty wild to consider that the top international goal scorer of all time is Canadian I think this is something that we should mention a lot more I I, <laughs> I don't say. know how it's not right like seriously it, it that should be how we open every podcast you know? <laughs> to the Haley Bailey I love that I love that all time leading international goal scorer is in fact a Canadian um, I did have some notes real quick before we wrap up here on how some yes, Canadian rapid fire. national team players did overseas. Uh, just to just to highlight some stuff. So Maxine Crapo held on to another clean sheet for LAFC as they now have advanced to the MLS Cup final, and they will face off against the Columbus Crew on Saturday, which also features two Canadians as well, and Mo Farsi and Jason Russell Rose. So that should be a pretty exciting match. Um, Jonathan David scored again, so that's two goals in two games. Uh, perhaps is he picking back up his form with Lille in League One? Let's hope so. It was a penalty kick, and he did miss an absolute sitter right before he did win the penalty and converted on that. So, I mean, give or take, but uh, a goal's a goal. So, 
he's hopefully the, the confidence will continue. Not so much for, for Kyle Laren over at Mallorca in La Liga. He has still yet to find his first goal of the campaign. He did miss two big chances in a nil-nil draw with Deportivo yeah. Alaves over the weekend. Uh, so let's hope he just <laughs> keeps Man. pushing. He's uh, he's snake bitten something awful, isn't he? I don't know what's going on. Um, and he looked he came he came on in the second half, and uh, he came on at halftime, and he did like there was a flare. You could tell. You could tell yeah. that he's he, it, You know that it's coming. It's just a matter. It just needs to happen. I mean, he has scored for them technically in a Copa del Rey match a month ago. They did play and then another Copa del Rey match uh, throughout the week against a uh, third tier side in Spain. He did not play. So I, I suspect that would be likely to just to rest him for some minutes this weekend. But I, I think it's coming. It's just they're not a high-scoring team at all. The, their last match before this one over the weekend, it was I think it was 1-1. And that was their that they scored their first goal since early October in that match. So attack is what they need. And and I wonder as it comes closer to January, will they be looking to to try to let would they let it go with that early, send him on a loan? Um, because then you know they need goals now. And unfortunately, Kyle Laren isn't providing them. But, you know, as Canadian as national team fans, we hope that that, that changes around. Um, and one more thing I'd like to mention as well is Mel Kone had another great game with Watford. They've now won two in a row and they're three points off the uh, playoff spot for the Premier mm-hmm. League. So obviously still early in the season, but he's still continuing to find form and uh, 88% passing accuracy on the night. He did miss a big chance, but. Um, nonetheless, it seems like he's kind of getting more involved in their in their build-up play and their attack, which is nice to see as he obviously is capable of of providing in that in that element. And um Jaden Nelson just wrapped up his first season playing the Norwegian top flight, and uh, he had two assists in his last match. He's only 21 years old, uh, first season over there after after developing and, and playing with TFC for a few years. So I think he's a promising player that that's probably gonna be uh relied upon in the in the mix for Canada. Uh, heading into 2024 so looking forward to seeing more from him that's fantastic it it's good. march is so far away man that I, like, I was thinking about it the other day it's like it, it must be so difficult for for players to be so invested in your club play you know like kyle laren's got things he's concerned about right now other than the Canadian men's national team right of course. and 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 that's fair enough so i was, I was just thinking about it like you know Time's going quick, but March is still uh, a fair ways away. So it'll it'll be interesting to to see how they round into form as as we near that crucial match uh, against well, Trinidad I, and Tobago. Definitely, I know Biello is looking to do a, a a January camp. So it'll be interesting to see what players can be available and what clubs will be willing to let their players go to attend that. I mean, someone like Jaden Nelson, whose season, you know, on on you know, oddly comes to an end during the winter in Norway just because they can't play matches in Norway in the winter. It's so yeah, yeah. cold. Um, imagine the same for, for Sweden with players like Derek Cornelius. Um, and then there would be obviously the MLS players that are around yeah. in the off season. So if they do, they, they should do a camp in January. And if they do, I'd be interested to see if how much they switch it up. And, and that'll be a good indication of who will be playing in the match against Trinidad and Tobago. But uh, and this is a good time to to wrap it up as we now need to go get into an interview for the following episode. So yeah, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, good. there, there it is, up. man. That's uh, that's good. Uh, where can people find you, sir? 
So people can find me on my football Twitter. That is at CanFootballTalk, C-A-N-F-U-T-B-O-L-T-A-L-K. And I'm expected to get a logo sometime this week. So we're, Ooh, we're, we're taking yes. it up a notch. <laughs> I saw you got like 30 or 40 replies from every graphic designer in the world, huh? <laughs> yeah, they're hungry, man. <laughs> yeah, man. And uh, you can find me uh, on Twitter slash X ash wanders notes or at my website which is the wanders notebook.ca all right we better scoot but thank you again for listening this week guys and uh, yeah we should have some more some more footy content for you in the next little bit talk soon perfect take care